0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the next edition of Business Banter. Uh, today, I have joining me Brooke Kirschbommer, who it took us a while to figure out her exact title, but we're going to call her an entrepreneur who specializes in disruptive technologies. So that's a mouthful there, Brooke, but I think we, we finally figured out what you do. So Brooke, why don't we start off? Give me a, you know, a little background on yourself and uh, tell me you know what it is about you.
1: Hi, Taylor, and thank you so much for um, inviting me to chat with you this morning. I'm really looking forward to a lively conversation. So as Taylor said, uh, I'm Brooke Sommer born and raised in Pittsburgh, and decided after undergrad that I was going to go get an MBA, because at the time, that seems like a reasonable thing to do. And my focus was on international marketing and international finance, uh, which seems like a an oddity because one's focusing on moving goods and services into the marketplace and the other one is concerned with paying for them and, you know, sorting out how we manage the back end. And I found that the convergence of the two was really helpful for me and then moved onward to Carnegie Mellon and started in the MSPPM program, which is the public policy and management program at Heinz College. And because of my MBA background was afforded an opportunity to receive waivers for a bulk of coursework. So I got to spend a lot of time um, in that school of engineering, which is really where I, I kind of found my, my sweet spot. So it was a, a long and windy road, but found that the convergence of finance and marketing and, you know, jumping the S-curve, creating means of adoption for technology, you know, any new materials, any, you know, new concepts and, you know, manufacturing trends, et cetera, was really something I was super enthralled by. So that's really what I've spent the bulk of, you know, my career doing is finding really cool projects that either are undervalued or underserved and trying to find a, a path into the marketplace for them. And you know, to really help foster their growth. That's so that's great. you know, that's kind of the career in a nutshell.
0: Did you did you ever thought about staying, you know, in the academic world in terms of research or the government world in terms of the, you know, that kind of work? Or did you always know you were going to transition to the private side?
1: I I did. And I, I thought about it a lot. And while I was at TMU I had the pleasure of meeting Studying under and then working with uh, a gentleman, Dr. Jimmy Williams. And he at the time was an adjunct professor, but also was the head of the defense division for all research and development at Alcoa. So there was a, a lot of work being done by Alcoa, you know, in the naval space and in you know aerospace in general. So I was privileged enough to do some research and some work, both within the government space and and academia under Jimmy's tutelage. And where I found I was most successful and honestly most productive was more on taking the research that I was privy to and part of and trying to find a way to monetize it, trying to find a way to make it useful and applicable, not just for defense applications or government applications, but more importantly, how that technology can be transferred to broad-based commercial use and to the general public. So there's, there's a time and place for academia. I think, you know, I was invited into a PhD program. I think that's something that's really exciting for a lot of people. For me at the time, it just wasn't something I was super keen on doing maybe later in life, you know, life is a learning process. So I would never turn blind eye to that in the future. Um, but for now, I'm, I'm just really content kind of living in that, that hybrid space of, you know, government defense slash, you know, commercial enterprise.
0: Great. Well, and switching gears here for two seconds on a personal side of you, have you always been a, a Pittsburgher, or have you lived in different parts of the country?
1: I've, always been a Pittsburgher. I did do a stint in Southern Vermont um, for about six years, uh, but, you know, back and forth to Pittsburgh during that time and spend quite a bit of time in D.C. um, And, uh, you know, obviously with what I do, I I spend quite a bit of time overseas as well, but Pittsburgh has always been my home and likely always will be. Um, There's something really special about this town and Having the privilege of growing up here and then seeing, you know, its transformation from where it was when I was little, you know, as a massive steel town to where it is today at the forefront of healthcare and technology and robotics and engineering um, has really been a privilege. And I would, you know, I I think this is a great place to, to grow up, a great place to live and work, a great place to raise a family. So I have no intention of leaving.
0: That's great. I'm going to stick with the personal side here too. So a couple passions. I know that uh, platform tennis is a passion of yours. And I know that sailing is a passion of yours. Any other uh, things I don't know about that uh,
1: you do on your off time, your very
0: limited off time that you have when you're not working? So,
1: yes, I I like to play paddle and I um, am very much a, Um, you know, a sailor at heart. Um, But I also love to ski. Um, Big mountains have always been something I've really enjoyed. And that's really kind of where I'm I'm the most at home is, um, you know, high up on a hill, freezing cold, you know, just sliding. So that's, that's definitely something that's where I do my best work, actually.
0: There you go. Fits the personality. Fits the personality. (laughs) Well, let's go back to like the, on the business side here, why don't we spend a few minutes? Why don't you give some highlights of some of the stuff maybe you've been up to over the last couple of years in terms of, you know, I don't know if you want to do pre COVID COVID and then we'll obviously at the end here, we'll talk a little bit about the future, but uh, maybe give us sort of a highlight, uh, highlight reel of some of the stuff you've been working on in your career.
1: Sure. Um, we can talk about a trio of things that I, I think would be interesting for your listeners because they're very different uh, spaces, but at their core, all, um, you know, all startup oriented, all technology driven and all, you know, innovation backed. So in, you know, about little over 10 years ago um, started working in the intermittently kind of in the healthcare space, so more on the public policy side of healthcare. And then in late 2014, was introduced to a very unique genetics firm called Uscript, which Uscript and Genelex. So it was a hybrid firm. Um, Genelex was a genetic testing lab that focused on what's called pharmacogenomic testing, which tests, How your body's individual genome responds to different pharmaceuticals, so different medications. Um, And then UScript, the proprietary software, um, algorithm based, that leverages a database to tell each individual how all of those drugs, based upon all of the research, all the clinical data, will work over time when combined with other drugs. So, really, early stage uh, exploration, and we got involved. Um, I was with them for almost six years, uh, developing and building the company. We um, brought in some key investors and um, some key players here from the Pittsburgh region. The company was based in Seattle, and made a lot of headway and i oversaw the government relations to so spend a lot of time in washington working with cms um, you know center, center for medicare services to try and create adoption of the technology um, and eventually you know we were really lucky we knew that in order for the company to continue to expand and grow that we either needed to partner or you know find a, a reasonable acquisition and we found a company in San Francisco, in Invitae, um, publicly traded and struck a deal with them. They bought both companies and actually closed, the transaction closed on April 1st of 2020, you know, two weeks after the world shut down. So we were extremely fortunate that we had done all of our due diligence and all of the M&A work was done prior to. Um, and then um, the company was sold and, you know, the, the core leadership. Stayed, and then myself and some members of the board stepped out so that we could move on to um, different projects. And you know, script is still widely in use. Um, Legislation has been put in front of Congress to more or less um, afford hospitals to receive reimbursement for the technology, which is you know fantastic. But it takes time. You know, so looking back, it's almost a 10-year run from when I first was introduced to that to where it is today. And then in 2020, um, at the peak of the pandemic, I was approached by a gentleman who's a renowned orthopedic surgeon um, from Hawaii, Pittsburgh native, um, who studied here under Freddie Fu um, at the University of Pittsburgh. And he had created about three years prior a um, dust mask for pollution. And he wanted to see if we could change the mask and, you know, really use it for something like a pandemic, um, like COVID, like RSV. So um, if we could create, you know, a better face mask. And so I was brought in as um, their technology strategist to really work on their filtration and their fit and how the mask was designed, engineered and produced. And so we're now, you know, the company is called Makana Masks economy means gift in hawaiian and we're now in version two of that mask and um just actually submitted our N 95 certification documentation which is a huge deal because that typically is a three to five year process we've done it in 18 months so um that's going well and then about a year and a half ago I was approached by one of my co- you know, friends and colleagues in the sailing space about a really cool carbon boat that they thought um, would tickle my fancy and it's actually a, um, a long-standing military prototype that we looked at and said you know wow this thing's pretty amazing and could do so many things and so we invested in that company and Um, now have created a new entity that we kicked off this summer, Ghostworks Marine, and we manufacture, you know, vessels ranging from, you know, our small drones, which are, you know, just about 12, you know, three, four meters um, to larger vessels that go upwards of 30 meters um, that are, you know, pretty much state-of-the-art in the space um, using advanced materials, jet engines, um, you know, so having a good time.
0: That's great. Well, you're very, very busy. And I, and I think you sort of touched a, a, <laughs> a little bit on the uh what the future looks like for you there. Because I think your 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 book seems pretty full. So maybe we can just finish on a few minutes putting back your entrepreneur hat. Like, how do you see the future for you know, maybe any tips you have for future entrepreneurs, or you know, how do you see the next five to 10 years in the United States for? For stuff like that, like I know that, you know, on the m and uh, basis, you know, there's a lot of baby boomers who are retiring. Uh, you know, obviously, our economy seems to be going up and down. Nobody can quite figure out whether we're in a recession, not in a recession, going into a recession. But any tips you can give for uh, would-be entrepreneurs out there in terms of success tips that you had? And we'll end on that note.
1: I would say... The lessons I've learned, the key takeaways that I am carrying into the future, which have allowed us to to create, you know, successful platforms, successful transitions, um, and have allowed us to be really fluid in an ever-changing supply chain landscape and financial landscape, is to be, you know, the first one, be flexible. So while you may have an idea or a core set or a plan, make sure that you build flexibility into that mindset, into that strategic plan. Because if anything, over the last three years, what we've learned is while we can put our very best efforts forward, we're going to be thrown a curveball. And the more flexible we are, the more resilient we become, and the more readily able we are to deal with that curveball. Um, in a way, that still um, allows us to move forward. Um, so, you know, flexibility is number one. Number two is one thing that we've definitely stressed amongst our colleagues and within our organization is transparency. So, be be open, be honest. Don't be afraid to admit that you're wrong. Don't be afraid to own a mistake. Don't be afraid to to challenge um, the known with With a new thought, um, with a different idea, and just really be be honest, not only with yourself, but with your colleagues and your peers. Everybody's gone through such a stressful time that that's the one thing that you know, across all of our HR departments, we've really stressed with our entire teams is we will meet you where you are. We are willing to listen. We are willing to engage. We are willing to have a conversation and and to really be willing to have that conversation. And then, The last one is to listen. So listen to your teams, listen to your clients, listen to your vendors and your suppliers. Make sure you hear them because you are only as strong as the network of people and the network of resources that you utilize and that you are able to leverage. And if you support them, if you listen to them, if you hear them and you know what their struggles are and what their strengths are, then you are so much better positioned to actually be effective, not only as a business partner, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, you know, as a cheerleader. So those would those would be my three key lessons learned and things that we're definitely leveraging across our organizations for the, you know, our, it's a, a key tenant of our one-year, three-year, and five-year plan is, you know, flexibility, transparency, and, you know, an open listening
0: That's great. Because,
1: you know, Taylor, I I think at the end of the day, people should really enjoy what they're doing. And what we've found is they do as long as they feel like they're contributing, as long as they feel like they're part of that team, and as long as they, they feel like they're valued. So those three things really. Have we've seen improve value tremendously and it's definitely, you know, what we're going to do moving forward.
0: Very nice. Well, thank you for your time, Brooke. And I, I look forward to having you back one of these days after some of your projects have moved further and see what you're up to in the future. <laughs> it always seems like there's something new with you, Brooke. I said, why so I, I love, I love that. <laughs> so thanks for your time. I well, really appreciate you. it. Look forward to the next chapters.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity